When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Michigan whips up on Sparty last weekend with a score of 44-10. to 10. It was a dominating performance. We'll do a recap on that as well as a look ahead to the Indiana game. All to come here on In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. We're as dangerous as we've been uh, yet, um, and I think we, we still have more stuff to learn and, and more time to grow over the next two, three weeks. Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends. We have a lot to get to today, including a recap of Michigan State, a look ahead to Indiana. We also have quarterback Shea Patterson coming off a career day. Um, so we've got a lot to get to, but before we get there, I want to make sure when you download this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, and uh, give us some feedback and let us know how we're doing. Uh, before we get to some business, we also have some business to take care of. We've been telling you about our friends at SNR Event Rental, the best place for tents, tables, chairs, staging, and so much more. SNR provides top-of-the-line service and customer satisfaction. You may have even seen SNR's work at Arts, Beats, and Eats, Detroit Tigers Tigerfest, or even Michigan football tailgates. With competitive pricing and well-maintained equipment, SNR is sure to make your next event a big success. If you are interested in learning more for your upcoming event, check them out online at sreventrental.com or give them a call at 248-655-6020. Now I want to bring in Brian Bush. And, and Brian, before we get there, every Monday night, which our listeners can can you know hear on Tuesday morning as well. We do Inside Michigan Football. But this past Monday night, you had the first Inside Michigan Basketball. You, Terry Mills, Kim, Bar- Kim Barnes-Arico, as well as Jawan Howard at the Blue Leprechaun. What was it like there? It was great, especially because my job was easy during the Jawan Howard segment because he and T. Mills just talked about when they were playing. I mean, I, I just kind of sat there and I was like everybody else just going, I'll keep talking. The only times I, I chimed in was when they were when they referenced something that I didn't know what it was. Like they were talking about 17s, and it was a running drill. 
And I don't, I mean, maybe 17 seconds is how far I'll run. <laughs> so, you know, that's what my thought is when I hear 17 and running, but it was a drill where you had to go 17 times up and down the floor in a certain amount of time. But, but other than those clarifications, man, I was just listening. Why and, 17? I don't know. I mean, it's probably one of the many reasons why I wasn't a college basketball player, because <laughs> uh, I don't know why that's the the number, the magic formula to it. But, uh, you know, they were talking about a great story that, that both Terry and Juwan would talk about is that when they go to the big house, if they're at a football game. Obviously, you love it, but everybody has their own special feelings and thoughts toward the big house. Uh-huh. And theirs, when they go in there, is, man... I used to have to run up these dang steps. <laughs> yeah, Terry was telling me when they name. were, you know, when he was here, you know, in, in the late 80s, they would run the whole stadium, which, you know, I've heard of stadium steps and, and I've even done one or two here and there. But to do it at the big house. Yeah. Holy cow. It's not a fun experience. No, I'm sure. And uh, and I tell you what, if it's if you don't think it's a fun experience, ask uh, Aaron Shea. Uh, and his comrade, uh, they uh, they had to do that after uh, uh, getting in trouble with Lloyd Carr. Mm. But that's a story for another day. Most of our listeners probably know that story. <laughs> but seven from 77. Yes. It's what a, do we got today? It's a good one, John. Number one, we always do this after a big win. Uh, you can get the full breakdown from John Jansen on our podcast from Saturday night, uh, the postgame edition. But after you digest it, seeing it for a few days, embracing the fact that Michigan is back-to-back state champs, what impressed you most from Saturday? Um, the, the the total team effort. Um, and when I say effort, it, it, it goes to the things that most people probably don't see. Um, one of them was the wide receivers blocking downfield. When Ronnie Bell would catch a ball, you saw Donovan Peoples-Jones, Nico Collins, Nick Eubank, Sean McCune, all throwing blocks to extend a run. Whenever Michigan would run the football, you saw cor- you know corners on the ground. You saw safeties getting dug out by by wide receivers. And you know while Michigan didn't have a great day on the ground, you do get some success. In the fact that you know you don't have you're not running against the eight man box and if that eighth man is in there you've got a tight end you've got somebody digging them out um, so they're not taking shots on the running back I thought that was great and then defensively it's all about the effort on defense the pursuit and when you watch Aiden Hutchinson Jordan Glasgow uh, Cam McGrone Josh Uche Lavert Hill every time I mean you could I could name off every guy that played on defense. And the effort that we are seeing on defense right now is is it's special. It's not something that you see every week. It's not something that you see every year. But over the last couple of games, this team has it has made a conscious effort to go out there and make sure that you know everybody is on film. Depending on the stat you look at, Michigan since the Wisconsin game is top ten, even top five in the country in a lot of defensive categories, and it has shown. Uh, one of the offensive players of the game, one of our guests coming up a little bit later here on In the Trench, is Shea Patterson. Second best completion percentage of the season. His best was Rutgers, so I'm throwing that one out. This was his best <laughs> because it came against a real defense. Four touchdowns, first time in his Michigan career. And as you mentioned, the run game wasn't as productive as we've seen it in the past. Best you've seen from him? And and, and give us kind of a preview of what you guys talk about coming up. Um, yeah, I think it was the best that we've seen this year. There were sure. games last year where we saw him you know, be accurate, and, and he did all of the things – against Michigan State that we saw him do in 10 games last year when they had that 10-game winning streak. 
in regards to being able to roll left, roll right, and be accurate when he threw. There are still a couple of passes, and, and Shay will talk about this uh, when he talks to us a little bit later, in regards to you know just underthrowing some things or not being as accurate as he wanted to be. But you know, being a having been a former player and a guy that has been in a game where it looks like everything goes well, you always look back and you think, what if I had those two or three plays back? I could have done better. And uh, But that's what you like to hear from one of the leaders of your team. And Shea Patterson is that 384 yards, uh, you know, four touchdowns. But the most impressive thing is that this football team, including Shea Patterson, has not turned the ball over. I know there was a, a turnover late, um, but for the most part, this team has been very good at protecting the football over the last three to four weeks. Number three on today's seven from 77. Looking back this time last week and throughout the lead up to the game, obviously, you know, us who aren't out on the field for that one, it, it's it's easy for us to talk about how badly we want this team to win and, oh, the rival is this, this, and that. I thought this team handled the week very well. Very little bulletin board material, great composure, led to a really strong performance. Uh, and obviously, it worked. And I feel like that's going to be the same formula this team should use, not just this week against Indiana, but obviously going to next week against Ohio State. Yeah, and and I, I, I'll give a lot of that credit to Dave Abloff, who is you know the associate athletic director here, at, you know, for communications for football. Um, he did a great job of, of talking to the guys and, you know, letting them know, hey, you can be honest in your response. You know, you're 18 to 22 year old kids. Be honest. Talk about your passion. Talk about, you know, how much this game means to you. But, you know, leave leave the other side out of it. All right. If you're going to talk about the other side, you talk about what they've done well, you know, and, and what they've you know, and, and we we heard that all week long. Hey, this is a very good defense. And, you know, Michigan went out there and made them look like they weren't. Um, and that's the whole goal. Um, they wanted to go out there and, and, you know, win this game decisively. And, you know, there's nothing inflammatory about that. That's just both teams wanted to do that. Michigan was able to accomplish it. I thought they did a great job of holding their composure for two weeks because they had a bye week and had to talk about it for two weeks leading up to this game. And then also in game, I thought they did a great job of keeping their composure. Um, and there's a few things we'll talk about here coming up, but there were some cheap shots taken. You know going into that game that that's going to happen. That You're 100% aware there's not been a Michigan-Michigan State game where a Michigan player hasn't been cheap-shotted in one way or another from a Spartan. So you know that going in, and when it happens, it doesn't surprise you. And they were very aware of that, and they handled themselves, I thought, well. Look at the most notable personal fouls for both teams. Michigan State, well, it was a brutal roughing the passer. Michigan was a flexing of muscles to no one in particular. Right. And, I mean, and if that happens in any other game, on any other field, yep. against any other opponent, that's not a penalty. Yep. And it shouldn't have been a penalty. No, it shouldn't. But have. but you know, I will say this. We we have been hard on officials this year for good reason, whether it's Michigan games or all across college football or the NFL. I thought the officials did as good a job as they could of controlling the emotions of that game. Because that game, it got real chippy real fast. And it could have got out of hand. But they did a good job of settling things down, letting guys you know, do their thing, mm -hmm. but making sure it stayed in control. I'm with you. Uh, number four. So normally we do kind of the full scouting report for big games. 
And at the start of the season, I didn't really expect this one to be one of the big games, but it is. And that's mm-hmm. a credit to what not just Michigan has done, but Indiana. IU's given us a real reason to think this is going to be a challenge. And it's not just because of what's happened the last four years. The last two times at the Big House, last season and then 2016, Michigan won by 11 and 10 in games that never felt comfortable. And the last two times Michigan went to Bloomington, 27 to 20 in overtime two years ago, four years ago, 48 41 in double overtime. This is a real challenge. So let's start with the Michigan offense against Indiana's defense. Scout us up. Uh, Michigan's offense, and, and I'll talk about Mich- or Indiana's defense in just a moment because this is a team that that Tom Allen is a defensive-minded guy. He's built it through the defense. We heard Coach talk about that on Monday. But it all comes down to what Michigan does. It, you know, A couple of years ago when we were down there, it was Donovan Peoples-Jones running down the middle of the field – on the opening play that the offense had the ball, the ball was a little bit overthrown. If he catches that ball, it it breaks the game wide open. So I, I, I say this in regards to it didn't have to be that close. It didn't have to be an overtime game. And if Michigan goes out there and is explosive early, if they take control of this game early, Indiana's not going to go away. They're a team that will fight for 60 minutes and obviously longer if they have to. Sure. They will make this a game. So when you know going in, you have to take the fight to them, and you have to keep it on for 60 minutes. So keep pouring it on. If you get up a score, get up two. If you're up two, get up three. That's the whole goal is to make sure that you stay up enough so when they do make a push, because they have a very good offense, we'll talk about them in a minute, that you've got your, you've built yourself a cushion. You can withstand a, a little bit of a, a rush by them and then move on. Um, defensively, like I said, they're a team that's built on defense. Uh, they're big up front and, and really in the middle. Jerome Johnson, uh, a senior up front, 294 pounds. Demarcus Elliott, 6'3", 328. They are big bodies up front. Um, but I like the matchup there because we've got Ben Bredesen who goes, well, I don't know, maybe about 320, maybe a biscuit or two more. <laughs> yeah. And then Michael Onwenu who's uh, maybe a dozen biscuits bigger than that. So we can match size for size. And I think the matchup goes very well because – one of the things that Michigan has struggled with over the course of a number of years, not just this year, is movement up front. And this is not a team in Indiana, 328 pounds, he's not going to be slicing across your face. They feel like they can match up, and they have matched up with most offensive lines. I think the strength, the size that Michigan has gives us an advantage. Raquan Jones, Mar- Marcelino Ball, Two of their linebackers, very good players. You got to make sure you keep an eye on them. Uh, but Michigan, all Michigan, it doesn't matter what Indiana does. It, if Michigan comes out and plays their game and they attack the line of scrimmage, uh, they, they are able to establish the run and they take big shots downfield. This game should, it, it may not be a comfortable win, but it should be a win. Yep. And Michigan's going in as a touchdown favorite. Yeah, they're, they're going to be expected to win, but it's not going to be easy. Number five, other side of things, Michigan's defense versus a potent IU offense. Here, I think, is the key stack. When you look at their two quarterbacks, Michael Penix Jr., who is now out, won the starting job halfway through last season and then in training camp this year, has been sacked one time this year. Peyton Ramsey, when he took over last week after Michael Penix was declared out for the rest of the year, um, had been sacked 11 times. He's been sacked 13 times. He was sacked twice against Penn State. So to me, 
Michael Penix Jr., the reason he won the starting job is because he's a more mobile guy. He's not a stationary guy. Now, their numbers are very equal. Uh, other than that, you know, in terms of passes thrown, yards, you know, per pass, all of that stuff is very, very similar. But the the one stat I think that is very telling is that Peyton Ramsey is a guy that that gives up some sacks. Whether he's holding the ball too long or he just doesn't escape the pocket, um, he's a target in there. And we have to have Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Uche, um, Uche who has seven and a half sacks this year, leads the team, uh, Pay, all of those guys up front, including the linebackers, Cam McGrone, Khalid Hudson. We've all seen them get after quarterbacks. you got to put pressure on the quarterback starting early, and you have to do it often. But you also have to be careful for Stevie Scott, their running back, yep. who is is you know he's going to be near a thousand yards, and he's a guy that is tough to bring down. It's not just one guy that brings Stevie Scott down. You've got to gang tackle him. Um, then when you look downfield, you've got guys like Wap Fillier, who's one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. Try Ty Freifogel, um, which I love saying that name. It's a great name. It's just fun to say oh, Freifogel. Yeah. Freifogel. It sounds like it's a, a like a special meal at a fast food restaurant. <laughs> yes, it does. And so, but the other guy that you got to keep your eye on, and I think a matchup in regards to pass protection is their left tackle. Going into the season, he wasn't the starter. Uh, one of their their starting offensive linemen went down, but Matthew Bedford, who is six six, three hundred and ten pounds, true freshman. Mm. That's a matchup that Michigan. They may not win that battle every time. There's a reason they are seven. You know, they've got seven wins. There's a reason that they've been able to throw the ball extremely well. They're the number one pass offense in the Big Ten. But you've got to win that battle more than not. And and I think that's a challenge to Aiden Hutchinson. All of those guys that we mentioned before that are coming off the edge. You see a freshman there. You know what? There may be a couple of things he does well. But there's a couple of lessons he still has yet to learn, and it's best if Michigan teaches yeah, those we, lessons. We've got some teachers out there. Uh, number six, concept of a trap game. Do you buy in? And if so, what are ways to protect against it? This is such a unique scenario where you have two rivalry games in a three-week span, and this is the game in the middle. Road game against a seven-win team that gave Penn State everything it could handle. So where do you stand on that, and what can Michigan do to make sure that they bring a similar level of intensity in Bloomington? Um, I don't buy into the track game feel because every game is so important anymore. And if Michigan wants to get to those you know, uh, 10 wins, they want to get above that, they've got to beat Indiana. It's just the next game on the schedule. And yeah, it, to you know, if if you're a person that believes in trap games, it it set up it sets up like that because you've got a rivalry at home, then you got to go on the road to Indiana, then you've got a monster rivalry at home. But Michigan has to figure out how to play well on the road, play consistent on the road, and start fast. They did that against Illinois, but we didn't see four quarters of that. We have to see four quarters of good football on the road. If they do that, this game will – it'll be fun to watch, but Michigan will win. That being said, number seven, this is the week before Ohio State. Take me back to the mid-'90s. You're a player, and you know you know what's coming mm-hmm. up. You're still locked in. Now, what's interesting is the four years where, when you were playing, other than your, non-reg, or other than your redshirt season – uh, the four games that preceded Ohio State were all against ranked teams. Mm-hmm. So for you, did you at all think and look ahead toward Ohio State? And and if so or if not, how much has it helped that there is a real-life team? This isn't a Rutgers. This isn't a Maryland. I know Michigan respects every opponent, but how helpful is it that, that this is a real challenge? Um, oh, it's it's. I think it's tremendous. It's another tune-up for Ohio State. And, and I say that respectfully because – 
Indiana has given us a challenge. They're a good football team. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not like playing Rutgers. It's not like playing Maryland. It's not like playing Illinois. It, this is a good football team. And they've got goals. I talked to Tom Allen a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, I asked him before they became bowl eligible, you know, how much he talks to his guys about that. And he said, honestly, I haven't talked about it, and they haven't mentioned it because that's not our goal. Our, you know, the, the minimum standard – of being bowl eligible is not the goal. We've got bigger ideas. So these this Indiana team is a motivated bunch. It's been a long time since they beat Michigan. And it's going to be been close. And it's but it's going to be a little bit longer. That's right. That's right. Uh number 8 uh on 7 from 77 is our bacon fact. Mm. Uh there is a united church of bacon. It's mission statement, John. Hail bacon, full of grease, the lard is with thee. I can, you've said that exact phrase before, haven't you? I I have. (laughs) Um, You know, every morning when I put a slab of bacon on the, uh, on the broiler, yeah. it uh, yes, it uh, I can I can go to the church of bacon. Yeah, I have no problem and. God, that's a great saying. Yeah, I might I have know. to. I might have to start and finish every podcast with that. <laughs> I don't know. I really like what you currently finish the podcast <laughs> with. Uh, they have eight commandments. Some of them are uh, respect boundaries, be good, have fun, and one of them is yes, praise bacon. Uh, I think you've done all four of those commandments, but I'm most confident that of all else. I think you praise bacon more than having fun, being good, and respecting boundaries. I praise bacon. Constantly. I enjoy bacon. I love bacon. I. It's just... Mm. And you know what, John? One of the closest performances we've seen to the amazingness of bacon is what Shea Patterson did on Saturday. That is an awful transition, but I tried it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well said. Nailed it. Uh, and uh, I tell you what, so without uh, further ado, I got a chance to sit down with Shea Patterson to talk about his senior year, last week's game against Michigan State, and the couple of games that we still have left to play, and how fast this season has gone. You'll enjoy the listen. Here's Shea Patterson. Shay Patterson joins us here on In the Trenches, and uh, Shay, just, you know, we'll get into the details of the game last week against Michigan State, but how good does it feel to have a game like that in a moment like Michigan State presents? Yeah, uh, all week leading up to that game, we were watching highlight videos and, you know, just just getting knowledge about the game, uh, how important it was to our fans, to, to the university. Um, I think we just, we approached each day in practice that way. Um, we just wanted to go out there and dominate. We didn't just want to win. We wanted to, to go out in there and, and dominate them. How hard was it to spend basically two weeks? Because you had the bye week there. Mm-hmm. You come back from Maryland. You know you've got two weeks, but you want to you want to prepare. You want to be up for it, but you don't want to get up too soon. Yeah. How tough was it to have that bye week in there? I think it was, it was very beneficial for us, you know, mostly for our guys. I don't know about me, but just for our guys to get our legs back and uh, – just get healthy and, and 100% ready to go for that game. But um, those extra six, seven days of preparation really helped us out. And I know that there was talk early in the season about, you know, you, you weren't feeling 100% physically. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like you are. Is there a big difference between the way you were feeling at the beginning of the year and now and, 
you know, it, there's, I don't want to say there's a big difference in how you're playing, it just mm-hmm. seems like you're so much more comfortable out there now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Part of it was, was, uh, was the injury, um, on the first play, first play of the game of the season. Uh, but another part of it was just, you know, my experience and, and knowledge that I took from the first seven, eight games and, mm-hmm. um, just learning, learning from past mistakes and, and trying to correct them every day in practice. And, um, you know, I think we all just really went out there and just, Late, just let loose and had fun, and I think we're at our best when we do that. Well, it, it was definitely fun to watch. Um, but when you look at the receivers and the running backs, and everybody has really come on since about the halftime of the Penn State game. Hassan Haskins, how have you seen him develop over this football season? And he's he's grown into into the playmaker. Everybody everybody thought he was going to be, uh, including myself. Uh, just watching him every day in spring uh, last year, um, you know he, he dealt with an injury and finally he's back healthy. So it's it's really cool to to see him, see the playmaker he is every. You know it's, it's fun it's fun when he's, in, when he's in the backfield and you see him take off. Yeah. And and sometimes when you know we're kind of like we're similar players in the past game when you know when stuff breaks down you know I try to go make something happen when. When when the hole's not there for him, he makes it happen, and it's 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 cool to watch. Well, he, both he and Zach seem to have this ability where, you know, they're going east and west, and then all of a sudden they see something and they can accelerate through a hole. Mm-hmm. It, it, just their acceleration seems to be very impressive to me. Yeah. When you watch them make that cut, what's it like from your point of view? Man, it's 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 a spark. It's a yeah. spark that they give our offense. Um, it's it's game changing too uh, when you have those guys, those types of guys in the backfield and those types of guys on the perimeter um, that can make plays in open space and make guys miss. You know, I think it just makes our offense so much diverse. And last week, and it's, it, this isn't the first week that it's happened, but last week you connected with nine different receivers. Mm-hmm. When you have the ability to spread the ball around like that, how dangerous can this offense be? I think uh, right now we're we're as dangerous as as we've we've been uh, yet, um, and I think we we still have more more stuff to learn and, and more time to grow over the next two, three weeks. But um, just the way these guys, the way the old line's playing, giving me, you know, I have all day back there. Um, and the way our running backs are running the ball and the way our guys on the, on the perimeter are getting in open space and making plays, I think, you know, I, I think we all feel very confident. And some of those guys in space, obviously Donovan Peoples-Jones, mm-hmm. um, when he gets the ball in his hands, it seems like anything could happen. Um, you know, I know you don't target just one guy, but when you see Nico Collins deep, I mean he's he's a mismatch nightmare for anybody. Yeah. What mm-hmm. what is it that makes him special downfield? I think just his the way he gets himself in the right position uh, in, in one-on-one situations. Um, he's a huge body, so I mean for me it's just it's a big target. It's yeah, he's huge. He's hard to miss. Um, if it's if it's anywhere high and outside, you know. I think everybody in the building thinks he's going to come up with it. Now, every receiver kind of has, you know, something that they do their best or something that um, is unique to them in regards to the way they get open or the way they run routes. At this point in the season, are you pretty tuned into DPJ does this, mm-hmm. Nico does this, Ronnie Bell does this? Yeah. I mean, and, and how much different is that at week nine, week 10, than yeah. it was at week one? It's very different. Um, you know, we kind of had chemistry from the past past uh, past year, but um, anytime you get into a new offense, everybody's still learning, and, and you know, there's different rules, there's you know, different techniques and different different schemes. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, as Donovan and, and Ronnie, 
um, like that last. I think it was when Donovan stepped out of bounds on the on the bo- on the bubble. The touchdown did, yeah. didn't count. I just threw it and I didn't even. I just watched. I didn't even. And I kind of pointed my hand to the sky and I kind of just thought it was going to be a touchdown because they're so dangerous in there. Um, but yeah, just anytime I can get them the ball yeah. um, in open space, I, I truly believe they're going to make something happen. And with Nico, like I said, he's you know huge, huge target and. and um, you know, he's, he's a monster and, and, and a game changer. And Ronnie Bell, um, I mentioned this in the post game. There are some guys that just seem to make themselves available to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Does that seem to fit a good description of Ronnie Bell? Like he just he he seems to be able to find the holes when it's zone. He understands the rules when it's when it's man coverage, but he just makes himself available. Yeah, I think me and Ronnie, we, we complement each other pretty well. Um, you know, when stuff breaks down, I'm going to get out and try to make something happen with him. He's. He's so football savvy that you know he's gonna. He kind of feels it. We're kind of always just on the same page in open space. He's gonna, you know, kind of find the void, and 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 he trusts in me that I'm gonna make the, you know, the throw that needs to be made, and you know he's gonna find that open space. Um, same with Mike Sanistro. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a play over the middle where, where if I hit him, he he would have been running for a long way. So um, there's a lot of guys that are, you know, we're all just kind of learning to, to play with each other, and um, right now I think we're hitting our stride. What, what runs through your mind when somebody tells you you threw for you know 384 yards and it's more yards against the Michigan State defense than anybody's ever done before? And, and let me I, I, while you shake your head and because nobody on the radio can hear that four touchdowns, nine different receivers, and at one point you guys went on a 98 yard drive mm-hmm. with you know third down conversions, new center, and I want to talk to you about that in a minute, but just. That game that you had again against one of the biggest rivals that Michigan has, when you when somebody says 384 yards more than Tom Brady, more than anybody else, yeah. what does it make you feel? Just uh, excitement, you know. I was just for me, I, as long as we win, I'm fine. But um, you know, for me to to go out there and and, and do that with with my teammates and and. Just looking back and watching the film, see how well we played collectively. Um, you know, I was very proud to see that. And uh, like I said, I, that was that that was all great, and um, we all had a lot of fun. But as long as we got that win, I was fine with it. So we, we, I briefly touched on that 98-yard drive. You get the ball in the two-yard line, right? First of all, what's going through your mind is you basically you take a snap and you're standing in your own end zone. Yeah, you know that's that's not the most ideal situation, but um, how long does the field look at that point? It looks like the ocean, kind of. <laughs> but uh, you know, our, our job was to was to try to get two first downs and flip the field and play complementary uh, offense to our defense. So um, I think we kind of took that approach within the same mindset. We every time we get out there, we're trying to score no matter where we are. Um, so I think we, you know, when we were backed up, our only goal was to, you know, to get a first down or two, and then and then once we did that, we, we were scoring. You know, our mindset was we were scoring in the middle of that drive, which I. I uh, those that know football know this can be a challenge, but you have to change center. Cesar Ruiz went mm-hmm. down. Andrew Vistardis comes in. Mm-hmm. What type of challenges are there when that happens? Um, you know, I don't take many snaps with uh, with Vistardis in practice, and um, you know, Andrew's the type of guy that you know comes in every single day and and does his job and works hard and. You know, I wasn't worried at all. I don't think anybody anybody flinched because we knew he was going to be ready for the moment. He was going to go in there and, and, and do his job. Got a couple snaps under center with him, um, so we were feeling good about it. Now that you've done that, all right, you set a new standard. 
mm-hmm. moving forward. Is that what we should expect from Shea Patterson in this Michigan offense? Yeah, nothing, nothing less. Um, right now, our, our sights are on Indiana, and, and we know we got a, a huge one at the end. What do you see when you look at Indiana's defense? See a lot of a lot of DBs. A lot of, they play a lot of different DBs, mm-hmm. um, and a couple of different personnels. Um, I think they're they're very athletic on defense. Um, got some playmakers on offense as well. So, um, and it's on the road. Um, so, we just got to come out and match the same intensity we did uh, the past few weeks. Now, have have the guys told you the stories of of going down to Bloomington? I think two times ago it was you know double overtime. Last time down there it was overtime. I mean, it's it just always seems to be something. How can you? Uh, continue what Michigan has done, but understanding you know where it's been. Mm-hmm. I think I think we take every everything into into mind. Um, you know, we we watched the film from from last year, two years ago, uh, watching all their games this year. Um, but that's that's kind of the same same kind of narrative with with the past couple of games. You know, we you know it's always always been a tight one with Notre Dame. It's always kind of been a good one with Michigan State, but. I think I think it's just different uh, these last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've 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 just kind of gained a you know a certain amount of confidence, and um, our preparation is really good. And we're we're no longer just trying to go out there to win. You know, we're trying to go out there to dominate. Before I let you go, uh, there's only two regular season games left. How fast has this season gone for you? It's flying. It's flying by. Uh, you know, I, I know it's going to happen at some point. Um, you know, it hasn't hit me yet that I only have you know two, three more games in, in a uniform, in a Wolverine uniform. Um, but I'm just trying to make the most of it and have fun with it. Well, we're enjoying watching it, and we'll enjoy it however long it, it is. So appreciate yeah. it. Best of luck down in Bloomington. Thank you. Well, as always, thanks to our players uh, this week, Shea Patterson, for giving us a, a few minutes of his time and his pack schedule. And uh, we also want to thank Even Hotels. Listen up, Wolverine fans. Even Hotels has arrived in Ann Arbor. And here is the inside scoop. Even Hotels has something for everyone. Enjoy organic meals at their restaurant. Get the rest you need to accomplish more. Or stay active with mounted fitness walls in each room and a best-in-class athletic studio. Not to mention, game day just got a little easier. Even Hotel Ann Arbor is located just a few miles from Michigan Stadium. Book now at evenhotels.com. Even Hotels, where wellness is built in. Well, Brian, we're, uh, we're just about there. But uh, we still got fourth and short. We're just about there. What, is this like a to-do list thing for you? Come on, man. Yeah, it's a to-do to, to do do list. It's a to-do list to get me to Saturday, to get all of our fans to Saturday. So Monday, inside Michigan football, listen to it Tuesday morning. Wednesday morning, in the trenches. You can listen to it for Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday Friday. Friday. It'll Saturday morning. Enjoy your ride down to Bloomington. Get you ready for the game. Doug Karsh and I tailgate show at about, what, 1230 this week. Get you ready for the 330 kick. It is a to-do list. It's weird. The first 330 game, by the way. Are you going to be okay? You, you've gotten spoiled with these nooners. Um, you know, everybody loves a nooner. <laughs> and I tell you what, I am no exception. No <laughs> exception. But uh, it's, it, it is weird. To have a 3.30 start, you know, we've ever, either been at 7.30 or 8 or noon. Mm-hmm. And I just think football games, 
should be played at noon. I know it's it's been strange. Uh, I like the three thirties. I, I sure as heck like them a lot more than the night games. Give me three thirty or noon every single time. Fourth and short, John. We talked about the Michigan Michigan State game. Let's face it. No matter what, Michigan fans are going to keep tabs on what Michigan State is doing. Michigan State fans are going to keep tabs on what Michigan is doing. Curious your take on Michigan State and where they stand right now. They're four and six. They're likely to make a bowl because their last two games are Rutgers and Maryland. Uh, but your thoughts on everything that transpired on Saturday, Mark D'Antonio's future, anything along those lines? Well, it's it, it's a program that Mark D'Antonio, when Mark D'Antonio took over this program, it was not in a good place. No, it wasn't. And he built them up to a college football playoff team, a Big Ten championship team. And I think right now he's he's really a victim of his own success. I've said this many times. He has had so much success there that he has raised the bar. And he's had a hard time in the last three or four years of living up to his own standard. Moving forward, what does Michigan State do? That's going to be the, the biggest question probably coming out of this Big Ten season is, does Mark D'Antonio stay? Um, does he try and, and get this back to where it was and then go out? Or... Is that going to take too long? You know, I I don't know. I know he's got a what is it a four or four and a half million dollar retention bonus uh, in January, so it won't take long for us to know. Uh, but if he does stay, I will say this: I think there's going to have to be a revamped offensive staff. Um, Brad Salem, you know, the offensive coordinator right now, they just have struggled for a number of years. They reshuffled things, and it just hasn't worked out. And you. Mark D'Antonio, if you talk to any of his former players, guys that know him, he's an extremely loyal guy. If he's forced to make changes, I don't know if he wants to do that. If he's if he's the leader that we think he is, then he'll make those changes. That you know, you've got to make tough decisions. So we'll, it'll be very interesting when the season's over to see what Michigan State does. Number two, a few kind of two A, two B, two C. We'll see how long we go. Big Ten observations. First off, Minnesota lost, but I think they played pretty well in a hostile environment. I still think they win the West. What do you think? Um, I think they win the West as well because they've got Northwestern this weekend. Um, That's on the road. That's not going to be – shouldn't be a tough matchup for them. And then they've got Wisconsin at home. I think they set up very well against Wisconsin in regards to the fact that Minnesota's defense, they've got a large defensive line. They've got an extremely large offensive line. And this could be one of those games where they're just a little bit more explosive with Rashad Bateman, you know, Chris Autumn Bell, Tyler Johnson on the outside, and quite frankly, just score quicker and more often than Wisconsin can. Yeah, and Wisconsin gets Purdue. So likely those two teams will win. Then it'll be a, a West winner take all on the final game of the season, which is pretty cool. Uh, Scott Frost. Got in a two-year extension to 2026, and that pretty much locks in that when that six-year rotation sets in and it's Michigan-Nebraska as opposed to Michigan-Wisconsin every year, if he lives out that contract, we're seeing him every year. Yes, and uh, we'll welcome him with open arms back to Ann Arbor, and we will gladly go to Kansas, to, to Kansas, not Kansas. We'll gladly go to Nebraska. They're all the same out there, right? Flyover states. We just I mean, drop in every once in a while just to say hi, take a win, and go home. Correct. Go up one foot of elevation, and then that'll be it for the, <laughs> yes. for the trip. Uh, have you ever talked to Scott Frost? 
Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know I give him a hard time. Scott and I have had a lot of conversations and, and, you know, with all of the radio work I do, I've, I've had occasion to interview him. I had him, uh, you know, on the show at big 10 media days. Okay. And so, you know, he's two former players that love to give each other a hard time. And I love nothing more than to give him a hard time. (laughs) I'm sure you do. Uh, Hey, Rutgers covered. They did cover. How about that? The, was it the largest, the largest line since they started doing it in? You know, I don't even know yeah, since the beginning of time. Maybe <laughs> and, Vegas and, has been winning money since yes, since since yes. Harvard and Yale matched up. But once again, the, it, I mean, it just comes back. Just don't bet on Ohio State because they'll lose. Yeah, I, it was crazy how the 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 spread I think was fifty two and the over under was like fifty six when it mm. opened. <laughs> Yes. So, so they yeah. call it, they call it the real score of what Vegas expects it to be exactly. So the real score was fifty four to two. Yeah. And my thought was, how's Rutgers going to get a safety? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Miami of Ohio did. <laughs> so five nothing. Yeah, it could be. And and but you know, I'll even clarify it a little bit more. If you bet on Ohio State, you're just a loser. Isn't that how that goes? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, that's the math. Uh, anything else in the Big Ten stand out last weekend? Um, you know, it, I, I think it's interesting how Penn State. I don't. I, want, I don't want to say they've fallen apart, but defensively, they haven't been the same defense over the last couple of weeks. We saw them give up big scores, and you know, to Minnesota. Then last week against Indiana, if Indiana doesn't have a, a couple of costly turnovers. Indiana very well wins that game, yeah. and and I think that Penn State right now is is struggling to, again, f- refine their identity. Their identity is defense this year, and and they're they're going to have to find it quick because they're going to Columbus, and I think this matchup this weekend is is going to be very interesting, and obviously a lot of Wolverine fans will be watching it as well. I'm curious your take on this because as I was looking at what happened this weekend and, and you see Penn State struggle and get a win, you see Baylor and Minnesota have undefeated seasons come to an mm-hmm. end, yet they're still in their conference races. Listen, I love the fact that we have a four-team playoff. It's better than two. It's progress. But to me, when you think about these special seasons and we get into trying to impress the committee and trying to, you know, not just win, but win impressively, you talk about it all the time. It's just win. You win championships. You guys, when you won the national championship, did not every week get the style points. You didn't roll every Mm -hmm. opponent. And I feel like now it's almost expected to where, you know, people are talking about, oh, well, issues defense. They blew out Ole Miss. Like, I get it. I understand it. But to me, I... I've always thought that eight would be perfect. You you put in the five conference champions, you win a conference title, and and if that's the case, yes, maybe it takes away a little bit of oomph from the regular season, but then we're not asking these coaches after games, well, coach, you didn't win by enough. What's up? Um, I, I go back and forth as to whether it should be four teams or, or six or eight teams, and eight teams does everything you said right there. It, it includes more teams, and in the long run, it includes more fan bases, more areas of the country. And we're talking about you know Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 right now. One-loss teams. If if Oregon wins out, maybe they're in. If Utah wins out, maybe they're in. You've got you know for the longest time, it's been you know, the Midwest or the South that has been in the the college football playoffs. So in that regard, I think it's great that you could include some of those teams. But for my core values, to me, it's just get better. 
and yeah. win. If you yeah. want to be involved, if you want to have a seat at the table, then get better and compete with those teams and win. So I'm, I'm in conflict with should it go to six or eight teams? And it has nothing to do with if it was six teams, Michigan would have been in in, in 15 or, or you know whenever uh, Michigan had an opportunity. No, it goes to if you want to get in, then just be better and play better. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And maybe six is the answer then, because then there's still there's still a motivating factor behind dominating mm-hmm. and being a one or a two seed because you get a buy. But then we still keep some teams. I don't know. I just was curious about it because to me, looking at margins gets bothersome and and tedious. well, and and you also get into you know schedules are not standardized. Yeah, you know, exactly. The the the, the Pac twelve, the Big Twelve, the Big Ten play nine games. The ACC or or the SEC play eight conference games. And um, there was a great line that I heard this week by Chris Childers on uh, uh, Full Ride Sirius XM, um, where he said, you know, all the SEC all the SEC teams are on a bye week this week. It's just not BYE. It's BUY. <laughs> uh, because they bought a team to come in that they could kick the crap out of. Yep. Um, so it's it's it, it, when we get a little bit more standardization in scheduling, we might have a different idea of what the playoffs will be and should be. I would love to see college football go to similar to what the NFL does with its last two games in each schedule, where you play you play one of the other divisions in each league. And then you play the first place team versus first place team in the other two divisions. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that to where, you know, it doesn't have to be two games, just one game a year where, hey, last year's Pac-12 champion plays last year's Big 12 champion. And just say, hey, solidify it. You alternate home and road. I don't think we're ever going to get to that no. point, but I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. It would be fun. Uh, number three, your Heisman top three at this stage is? Um, Joe Burrow is I think clearly the leader and probably the Heisman Trophy winner here in 19. He's just played so well in big games um, and he's a guy that makes he makes all the right decisions. He makes all the throws, he makes throws under pressure and he picks up big first yard or first downs with his feet. I mean when 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 you see him play against Alabama, you saw him early in the season against Texas. You've seen him in big time situations and he just makes all of those plays. Um, I think my number two is is still Chase Young. Uh, I know even though he was suspended, he wasn't going to win the Heisman against Rutgers or Maryland. He's got those he's got those opportunities coming up against Penn State and Michigan. You know, all eyes will be on those two games. Um, so he'll have a chance to, for his Heisman moment. And I think my third, um, and this is more, I think he just deserves it more than just for this year, is Jonathan Taylor. Um, for the fact that he's, you know, he's run for over 6,000 yards. He's just been an absolute stud at that running back position. Um, broke Ron Dane's records, has broken you know everybody's record in regards to running back. So he's just been the most consistent. He's been the most dominant at that position. He won't win it this year, but he yeah. needs to be in New York. Would Burrow be your number one pick at quarterback, or would you do you prefer Tua or Herbert? Um, oh, I would take right now. I would take Joe Burrow. Yeah. I mean, hands down, with mm-hmm. the way. For all the reasons I talked about before, he's just a guy that goes out there and does what has to be done. And his numbers are spectacular. I mean, at one point this year, he was 80%. It's amazing completion percentage. And he was close and, to that last year. He just wasn't racking up big yardage totally. Right, he and, was and his you know his ability to find the end zone, to find the receivers, and and again pick up first downs with his feet. He is clearly, I think, the top 
to top quarterback coming out this year. Yeah. Uh, lastly, we're probably going to be pretty businesslike next week around this time on the podcast. So we need to make sure we give the proper due to my favorite holiday, <laughs> the holiday that always gets overshadowed. Because I'm sorry, if you're listening to Christmas music right now, well, you're not because you're listening in the trenches. But if you're going to tune in to Christmas music after this or you have your Christmas decorations up yet, just wait. No, no, enjoy no, no, no. Thanksgiving. I enjoy Thanksgiving. It's my number one holiday, but I love Christmas music. I will play Christmas music 12 months out of the year. Really? Yes, absolutely. Christmas wow. is awesome. and uh, But Thanksgiving is more awesome because you have everything that you want at Christmas in regards to great food, great family time, but there's no pressure. Right. Other than you're trying to make a good meal, and and I understand Except for on that, your waistline. That, yeah, yeah. There's, a, yeah. yeah I'll leave it at that. Um, but there's no pressure of did I get the right gift? Who do I got to get gifts for? If I don't do this, That's then this. Point. I mean, there's just there's so much pressure around surrounding, and it's good pressure because you know you want to show appreciation and you want to you know you you, you, you want to be that giving person. But at Thanksgiving, it's all about giving thanks. To, to your family, your friends, all of those that have helped you throughout the, the course of the year or your life, um, and the food is amazing. I'm so proud of you, by the way. You just talked about how great Thanksgiving was, and you didn't mention football. That was crazy. I was I was expecting you went food, family, like, where's the other F? Yeah. There's football. Where <laughs> yeah, is There's it? another one. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll leave it at football. And uh, I actually, football is going to be great because I'm going to take my father-in-law and my son to the Lions game. Oh, nice. Uh, on Thanksgiving Day, uh, we'll come back and we'll have Thanksgiving dinner. It's It, it doesn't set up any better yeah, than that's that. That's really cool. So... Uh, to wrap up things before our locker room speech, uh, we've done some top fives this year. Uh, John, I want you to go through your top five Thanksgiving foods. I've got my list. We'll go from five to one. I'm going to start, and and you might give me a side eye on this one, but number five for me, the rolls, the bread. And it's because you just – I'm somebody – I just put stuff on the plate, and when I'm at the end, man, I need something to soak up all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the bread by itself, I'm not just buttering it a little bit and then putting it in my mouth. No, it's the bread more as an instrument, a mechanism to finish off the plate. That's my number five. Yeah, it's like French fries for a kid. It's yeah, just transport exactly. for ketchup. Yes. Um, and, and I understand that. Um, uh, I would prefer, I mean, I'm, I'm, a clean, I'm a member of the Clean Plate Club. Oh, yeah. And, and so I, some can use bread to mop that up. I prefer my tongue. Um, so my number five, I'm going to start, obviously, with, with what m most people would say is the staple of, of Thanksgiving, and that's the turkey. That's my number five Wow! Uh, in regards to my the, the, the favorite foods that I have. And the turkey has to be moist. Uh, it has to be, you know, it, and, and, it, and it, some of it comes down to how it's sliced. I'm very particular on how I carve my turkey. So it has to be good slices of really nice, juicy turkey. Okay. All right. Number four for me, sweet potatoes. Give me a little casserole. The marshmallows on the top really adds to it. Big sweet potato guy. Um, yeah, I'm not going to make fun of you for sweet potatoes because everybody you needs should have to eat folks, their colors. Folks, you should have seen the look that John gave me. He's not judging me verbally, but he's really I, lucky this is an audio thing. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> not a big fan of marshmallows at okay. dinner. And, you know, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> Number four for me, mashed potatoes. 
when you and they have they homemade mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. My wife makes great mashed potatoes, and there's this garlic and herb cheese that you can get at the store. And so when she makes her mashed potatoes, she'll obviously mix in the milk and some sweet cream and some things to make it nice. But then she'll mix in some of that cheese as well, mm-hmm. and it is to mm-hmm. die for. Mm-hmm. Number three, I'm going to dessert, pumpkin pie. I. Two, three slices. I didn't like pumpkin pie when I was a kid. What? And I was an idiot. I've learned. I've grown, what kind of child, John. were you? Exa- a chubby one. <laughs> Obviously not from pumpkin pie. Other things. I found other things. Uh, but, man, as much as I love just crushing two, three, four plates, I always make sure I'm not in a food coma yet until dessert. And then I have one, and then I am, and then I have another piece. Mm-hmm. And and that's the beautiful thing about dessert is it's because pumpkin pie is is I'll save that for mine. Okay, I, I'll, I'll tell ahead. you what pumpkin pie does. Uh, my number three is stuffing. The the stuffing and it has to be the stuffing that you stuff inside the turkey, so it gets all of the juices, all of the flavor. And a lot of people will say, "Oh well, that's not healthy." Well, Come on, <laughs> I mean it's Thanksgiving. Like, what if the rest of my diet is healthy? <laughs> so uh, accept the fact that I like turkey in the tur- I like stuffing in the turkey. Yep. Uh, number two for me is the turkey. I'm, I love the turkey. I don't care if it's the dark meat, the white meat, the skin. I'll 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 gnaw on the bone. Mm. I love it. I'm I'm with you there. The, the turkey, uh, it 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 it's got to be right. And uh, my number two is pumpkin pie. Mm. And and pumpkin pie is, it's the perfect finish, to a Thanksgiving dinner because dessert needs to be. It needs to be soft so that because you're already filled up, right, with turkey and stuffing mm-hmm. and mashed potatoes and all stuff, but it has to be able to fill all those nooks and crannies. Yeah. So when people say, "Do you have room for dessert?" Hell yeah, of course I've, I do. I've, I've still got yeah, I got I got some space I can fill in there. <laughs> for me, number one, you already said it, mashed potatoes. Uh, my girlfriend makes the best mashed potatoes I've ever had. Uh, we should we should have this combo mashed potato uh-huh. deal and see see who win you know winner take all game on we're, we're all winners in that scenario <laughs> you and I are uh, but I, on Thanksgiving like I said I do not have you know like the people who post on social media their their Thanksgiving plate mine looks terrible photogenic wise because it's just all on there and the beautiful thing about mashed potatoes is you got a little corn on the side mashed potatoes bring it got a little mm-hmm. turkey left over mashed Pumpkin pie, nah, maybe not quite, but mashed potatoes brings it all to your mouth. Well, and and I'm surprised that you didn't say this one. My number one, it's it's a bit of a combo, but it's they're both in the same category. All right, you've got gravy and whipped cream, because whipped cream <laughs> not together, right? No, no. Okay, well, that, no, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> whipped cream is the gravy of dessert. Yeah, and so gravy. So I'm my wife makes fun of me because I have rules. Like generally I'm not a guy that likes my food to touch other things. Okay. All right. I have to have my steak separate from, you know, the 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 side dish. The side dish sure. or whatever it might be. But for Thanksgiving, it is the one meal where you put it all on the plate mm-hmm. and the gravy is what just it's like the binding agent. It just brings everything together. And a few years ago, when I was doing the college sports now for IMG, um, I had a, a, a Thanksgiving uh, leftover recipe where I took oh, yeah. my took the meat, took the pumpkin pie, the green bean casserole, the mashed potatoes. But the the secret ingredient 
is the gravy. So it all goes into a blender, and you make a Thanksgiving smoothie. I thought it was going to be disgusting, and it was so delicious. It was unreal. <laughs> so that how was good the first was. time you had done that. It was. That's great. It was, and uh, and it was phenomenal. But yes, gravy and then whipped cream. Obviously, you've got to have, you've got a little slice of pumpkin pie, and you've got a mound of whipped cream, and it's got to be the whipped cream out of the can. Yes, and you just yes. spray it on as much as you want. I tell my kids, hey, this is the one time. I don't care how much you use. I've got six cans. Let's just go. So John, before we started recording this, said you're going to like my number one. It's it's a of the two. And then when you said turkey at five, I was just convinced it was going to be a bacon wrapped turkey. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I was like, why is John no, giving this put, away to me? But now I understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, it's the binding agent. It's what mm. brings everything together. Yeah. I do like how in multiple instances on both of our lists, we talk about the importance of like the binding agent of the food <laughs> in bringing us other food. Yes. If that's not fat, I'm not sure what is. Uh. But if you're not doing it that way, you're not doing Thanksgiving right. Ah. I like it, man. I like it. I don't care what it is. Put it in my mouth. Uh, John, we have... <laughs> wow. Oh. The food, John, the food. The food, John, the food. Um, so. <laughs> Transition. Transition to the locker room speech. Kind of ruined me on that one, Brian. Um... <laughs> oh. Men... This trip down to Indiana is a business trip. You just played two great games at home. A great win over Notre Dame. A great win over Michigan State. But all of that will be forgotten if you don't go down to Bloomington and give this team the respect they deserve. Peyton Ramsey is a veteran quarterback, and he will find Wapfilier, Ty Freifogel. Their offensive line will protect him if you don't go down there and do your job. Offensively, Shea Patterson, we saw against Michigan State, 384 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. All of that will be forgotten if you don't live up to the standards that you have set. You have raised the bar. And Shea Patterson, when you take the field against Indiana, you need to go down there. You need to peruse that field. You need to find Ronnie Bell. You need to find Donovan Peoples-Jones. Offensive line, you need to protect him. And we have to find room for Zach Charbonnet and Hassan Haskins to go down there and be dominant in the run game. Because coming up in a week's time, we have one of the most formidable opponents coming to the big house. And we have to have an offensive line, and a running game that we saw against Notre Dame. We have to have the receivers and quarterback and protection that we saw against Michigan State. And this is your opportunity to go down to Bloomington, to put it all together, fine-tune things, so that when we come back home and we play against Ohio State, we have an opportunity to make a statement about what this Michigan football team is, what it stands for, and it all starts with a trip to Bloomington. So fans... When you listen to this podcast on Wednesday morning, when you listen to it again on Saturday morning, getting ready for the football game, on your way home from work, at any point during this week, when you get home, you give your little wife a peck on the cheek. Give your husband a little peck on the cheek. And when you set little Tommy and little Tammy to bed at night, you give them a kiss and you tell them, go blue. We'll talk to you next week on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network.